0: Hebrews Bible Study, Part 19, for lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year." Thanks be to God. Having discussed the typological and heavenly arguments for the superiority of Christ and Christ's ministry over the Levitical priesthood, the author of Hebrews now turns to the telos or purpose of the Passion. In our confirmation classes we learn that on the cross Jesus died for our sins, paying a penalty that we cannot so that we may be saved from sin, death, and the devil. The author of Hebrews does not deny this fact at all, but sees to it that we understand the mechanics of the sacrifice in light of the Mosaic system. After all, a congregation of recently converted Jewish Christians would naturally be confused as to why the change had to take place. Since the case has been fully made that the Old Covenant is dead and dying, that the New Covenant accomplishes what the Old could not, and so forth, now the author can state his conclusion. Let us read verses 1 through 4 again. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, The first verse reaffirms something that the author's initial audience would have suspected. The Mosaic Law is a shadow of the gospel. Rather than emphasizing St. Paul's proclamation that the law points us to the need for a savior, also known as the second use of the law, the Old Covenant is understood here as having prophetic power, Much in the same way the first commandment teaches us that there is only one God, the sin offerings taught the ancient Israelites that blood atoned for sin, but true absolution would come by the Messiah who would be pierced for them, per Isaiah 53. But as it has a prophetic nature, it is thus a shadow of what would come, a shadow by itself cannot accomplish anything compared to the one who casts the shadow. Thus, the author states flatly that the Old Covenant can never make anyone perfect. No one's sin is truly taken away, so long as they find themselves having to go back to the sacrificial altar year after year to hear absolution. To be certain, he is not contradicting the pronouncements of Leviticus 4 that these offerings truly had absolution to them. But one must note that the absolution was mostly for unintentional sins. It was on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, that transgressions were also forgiven. But even then, it was not complete, as the Day of Atonement had to happen every year. Thus, as the one who casts the shadow of the Mosaic law, Christ's atonement is the genuine article, having the ability to wipe away every sin in toto in addition to the tenacious original sin which results in our desire to commit iniquity. Verse 5 through 10 states, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Citing Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, the author makes it clear that there was a point to the Old Testament sacrifices, but not what the congregation the author of Hebrews writes to thinks it is. It is not that these sacrifices are commanded in order to please God. They are not there to wipe away every sin and sinful inclination, but rather to speak of Christ who would eventually accomplish God's ultimate will. And that is, of course, salvation for all who trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, from the Psalms, it says that sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. This means that the sacrifices and offerings were not for God, but rather they were for the ones who were making the sacrifices and offerings, to clear their consciences of the sins they remembered having done, and to point them to the ultimate sacrifice that is Christ. Thus, Jesus Christ accomplishes the will of the Father, whereas the law could never do so, being only a shadow. We also note the use of once for all as a motif in his language. Remember, the author of Hebrews is emphasizing the permanency and finality of the atonement, meaning there needs to be no more sacrifices whatsoever. In contrast, Verses 11 through 14 say, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." Let us dig into this a little bit. Yes, the priest out there in Jerusalem, no matter how many times he offers the same sacrifices over and over again, will never truly take away sin and guilt from people. No one is ever saved by the sacrifice of an animal even though maybe their conscience is clean, their guilt is not taken away. On the other hand, Christ, he did, in fact, offer himself as a single sacrifice for sins forever, and on account of the merit of what he has done, he sat down at the right hand of God. From there... The author does make a statement which points to eschatology, saying, Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, calling back to earlier chapters where he refers to psalms that say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. At which point, of course, the implication is, Christ returns and the world is made recreated new. New. Finally, for all time. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If one is being sanctified, they are not, strictly speaking, perfect yet. But the term used for uh, made perfect or perfected is not saying that the individual is made immaculate and sinless. To the contrary, it is instead saying that teleologically God has accomplished his will in that individual, starting with them being sanctified. Though this requires patience on our part, God's will accomplished in us means putting us on that path of sanctification until we are finally delivered once for all from sin, death, and the devil at the resurrection. Verses 15 through 18 state, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Here the author of Hebrews is making the plain statement that if God says he will no longer remember your sins nor your lawless deeds, then there is no longer a need for an offering for sin. There is a consummation of the promise presented in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Every offering, every burnt offering, every sin offering in the Old Testament represented a promise. Its absolution consisted of soothing consciences knowing that one day their sin will finally be removed and their guilt cleared as God says... I'm going to forget it all. Thus, according to Jeremiah and the author of Hebrews, this cleansing puts God's law on our hearts in a special way. It is already written on our hearts according to Romans chapter 2. But now there is a desire to do it. There is a desire from the heart and from gratitude for forgiveness that leads us to live a more sanctified life. And finally, we cannot forget in verse 15, the author of Hebrews says that the Holy Spirit bears witness to this fact. And he is the one speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. This means that Like everybody else in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews was indeed Trinitarian. The Holy Spirit is not seen as some cosmic force or semi-pantheistic presence. The Holy Spirit is a person, and the Holy Spirit is God. After all... Everybody in the Hebrew congregation in the first century would understand that the scriptures are the word of God. And if the Holy Spirit is the one speaking the word of God through Jeremiah, then the Holy Spirit is God. This is a very precious verse here in verse 15 because there is evidence all over the scriptures that our Lord Jesus Christ is the divine second person of the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit, he is often called the more shy member of the Trinity, because he witnesses primarily to and for the first two members of the Trinity. But here, for a moment, the curtain is opened to reveal his majesty and glory to us, and we rejoice to see it. Next week, we will get into another one of the extremely difficult passages of Hebrews. We look forward to it, namely because it is actually very encouraging. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.